Hey y'all, welcome to God on Tap, and as always, I am Nika Spaulding, and we are continuing on in 1 John chapter 2 today, and so we're going to finish up chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through, what is this, 27? Yeah, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, so uh, let's jump right in. Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too abide in the Son and in the Father. And thus is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, folks, we are finishing up chapter two, and if you remember earlier in chapter two, there was a moral and a social litmus test that John was bringing to them. And so the moral one being, hey, if you say you're a Christian, you're going to walk in the light. The social one being, hey, if you say you're a Christian, you're going to love your neighbor. And then right after that, because John is incredibly pastoral, he takes a little bit of a moment to be a pastor to remind people the promises they have in Christ. So the indicative before the imperative, hey, you are these things, therefore do these things. And then we pick up here where he starts talking about um, the the doctrinal litmus test. That's what we're looking at today. And so just a couple of points worth noting. Um, if I were if I were to describe this passage, I would I would probably use a metaphor, something similar to this, that um, if you've ever been like in a really crowded place, like uh, think back to when you were a kid, you were six years old, you were at maybe a flea market or an airport or trying to get on a subway in a major city somewhere, somewhere busy, crowded, people are everywhere. And what do you, if you, if you have a memory of this, like what do you remember your mom or your dad or your aunt or whoever is with you? Like what, what are they going to say to you? And chances are they're going to say something like, like, stay close to me, stay with me, right? And so one, your parent is like going to be watching you and making sure that you stay with them. But because kids sometimes just get distracted by shiny things and bouncy balls and whatever, like they're also trying to remind you like, hey, the game plan here in this chaotic moment is stay with me. And if you contrast that with like when you're like out in the country or where, I don't know, somewhere it's not as crowded, like chances are your parents are going to say that it's in these chaotic moments. There's this idea of like, be near me. Well, I think that's the message John is trying to remind people that I, in these chaotic times where, remember, the false teachers have come in, they are disrupting this church, this, this young church. And I think what, if you could hear, if you could hear God's voice, I think he would say the same thing. Stay with me. Abide with me. If you notice, the word abide was over and over again. Um, and so that's what's going on here. And so this idea of the Antichrist have come. So John is the one that likes the term Antichrist. And 
throughout scripture, there's kind of like this one big antichrist that Daniel refers to, that Revelation is going to talk about, that there's sort of going to be this uh, this person that's going to come and claim to be a Christ-like figure, very future-oriented, very cosmic language. John's not saying that person has already come. What he's saying is there's sort of a, there's going to be a buildup, right, to this major antichrist character. And so these false teachers, he, that's who he's calling the, the antichrist. Now, notice, I don't think that means that these false teachers, sometimes we think Antichrist is like um, the opposite of Christ, so maybe people that are coming and claiming to be Christ, which is, by the way, insane. So if you're ever walking around and somebody's like, hey, I'm the Messiah, but don't tell anyone. Uh, nah. First of all, Jesus came. He He claimed things that only the Son of God can claim. He did things that only God can do. Uh, and by the way, he rose from the dead and saved the rest of us. So no, don't. I don't think any of y'all are in risk of that, but people can be very persuasive and cults are a real thing. And so I don't think that's what these antichrists are doing. I don't think that's what John's getting at. He, if he had meant that, he might've called them pseudo-Christ, like a, um, a different way of saying false Christ, but he says antichrist and probably antichrist here just means an adversary. Someone who is the antithesis of Jesus' teaching. So not necessarily that they, they walked into this town and were like, hi, I'm the Christ figure, reincarnate, follow me. That's probably not what they were doing. Instead, they were saying, hey, I speak on behalf of Christ, do these things. And so John, John uses this term to refer to people who would be adversaries of Christ. And so these people have come, they have wreaked a bunch of havoc, and they have left and this is what and this is what is so disarming for these folks and so disconcerting is they're asking everyone like wait were they right and there's two basically two pieces of evidence here that that John is submitting to say no and the first one is this doctrinal litmus test this idea of no because they denied that Jesus was the Christ okay and so if if the moral test is hey you're going to be obedient the social test is you're going to love people The doctrinal litmus test, the gift that 2,000 years of Christianity has given to us is that we have a set of ideals and values, not even ideals, that's crazy. We have a set of truth statements that we, for 2,000 years, have said after, well, I want to be fair, like 1,700 years, it was really developed in the councils in the early church, but even, but they got these values from the scriptures and from the apostles, the apostles handed down their teaching to people and these people wrote letters. That's why we have letters from the early church and they're all saying the same things. First and foremost is that Jesus is the Christ. He is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. And so these people who are really disruptive because false teachers, antichrists have come into their midst and really shaken them up, John is able to say, listen, they failed the doctrinal litmus test. You cannot say you have access to the Father if you deny your very access to him through the Son. You cannot say, hey, we're Christians, and then deny that Jesus is the Christ. And so there is a doctrinal litmus test. Like I do not believe that our faith is necessarily a set of axioms and principles. I don't believe that we have a faith that's entirely head-centric. I don't think that um, the, the content of Christian character is how well you can recite these facts, but I do think that this fully orbed understanding, these litmus tests, there's a moral, there's a social, there's a doctrinal, it does give us parameters. It, it then allows you for somebody to say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I just think he was a good example. Well, you're not a Christian then. You're you're something, but you're not a Christian. And look, it's, it's not for us to decide what these doctrinal 
litmus tests are. They've been decided by God through his revelation to us. He has proclaimed these things and then carried along the apostles and the prophets to declare these things to be true through the scriptures. And then the early church preserved these things. And so we stand on solid ground and we say, no, 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 there are certain non-negotiables to the Christian faith. Um, I had a seminary professor, Dr. Spiegel, who would say, at what point is Chick-fil-A no longer Chick-fil-A? And he's using it as a metaphor, like, at what point is Christianity no longer Christianity? He's like, so if somebody says, hey, we're a Chick-fil-A, but they sell burgers and beer, and they don't say my pleasure, (laughs) uh, and there's no Chick-fil-A sauce, there's just, you know, some weird, I don't know, duck sauce. I don't know. At what point are you like, hey, look, you keep calling yourself Chick-fil-A, but you don't sell chicken, you don't sell waffle fries, and you don't have sweet tea. You're something, but you're not Chick-fil-A. The same is true of Christianity that there is a gift in this long history of Christianity, this long history of orthodoxy, there's a gift to us. Now, the flip side of that is people try to add things in and say this has always been the case and you have to believe this to be a Christian, and that's cuckoo bird, okay? Like, I could probably do a whole other podcast on, like, why secondary issues, like the role of women, not essential to the Christian faith. Your views on sexuality, not essential to the Christian faith. Your view on uh, just warfare, not essential to the Christian faith. So what is essential to the Christian faith? I know I'm, you probably are asking this very question, like what, other than Jesus is the Christ, what are the other doctrinal limits to us? And this is where I believe that being in line with church history and being able to know and say the creeds gives us our best um, simplified view. I would say there's probably about seven essentials of the Christian faith and you find them in the creed. And so if you're not familiar with the creeds or you haven't, read them in a while. This one's the Apostles' Creed. I would I would present to you the Apostle and the Nicene Creed. They are before the big schisms. They're before churches broke off into denominations. They're before, um, you know, we got Baptists and Protestants or even Eastern Orthodox and Catholic. This is what the early church came together and said, hey, we're not creating this. We are testifying to what it is that we have always believed about the Christian faith. And they put this into very beautiful easily recitable words. And so this is what I'd say. This is, if somebody can say, I believe this, then I would say that you have passed the doctrinal litmus test. If you are reading through this and you would say, no, I don't think so, then I, I would I would eagerly encourage you to dig in and find out what it is that you believe. And so this is the Apostles' Creed. It says, we believe, we, the church, believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's only one one Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. This is begotten from all ages. Jesus was not created by God. He is not the first creation. He has always been in relationship with the Father. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. In other words, in the early church, people were trying to figure out, is Jesus fully God? He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are homoousia, which is the same essence. They have that whatever is God's stuff, whatever you could define that as, all three of them have that. Through him, all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will never end. Um, that's an, I don't, did I say this was the Apostles' Creed? Uh, anyway, sorry. 
But this is this is a beautiful, this is the Nicene Creed. Sorry, guys, I said apostles earlier, didn't I? Either way, I submit to you that both the apostle and the Nicene Creed are incredibly important. And what they do is they help us to, to center our faith on these truths that for 2,000 years we've believed. We have believed for 2,000 years, 1,700, whatever. The timeline is this, is that it's, the onus is on you if you want to come and say, hey, Jesus wasn't fully God. We would say, yes, he was. Or he wasn't fully man. Yes, he was. Or there's not a trinity. There's three distinct gods. No, there's not. There's one God, three persons, one essence. This is what Christians have always believed. And so let me wrap this up in a nice little limbo. The moral test, do you obey God? The social test, do you love your neighbor? John says, hey guys, I just want to encourage you what you already have in Christ. And then by the way, the reason why you can reject the teaching of these antichrists, these adversaries to Jesus, the reason why you can reject them is because they are selling you something that we don't agree on, that Christians do not agree on. So you, so you can take this doctrinal belief, this doctrinal litmus test, and you can smack it down on top of whatever teaching that you're hearing. And if it doesn't pass the test, you can go, hey, bro, that ain't it. Hey, sis, that ain't it. And so that is a huge comfort to these people who are wondering, gosh, maybe they were right. So that's the first thing, the doctrinal litmus test. And then the second one is this, is that John, you know, he offers the first piece of evidence that those false teachers were not, in fact, of Christ. They were anti-Christ. The second piece, in addition to the doctrinal litmus test, is this idea of remaining. So earlier I said this word abide shows up multiple times. Just a free Bible study tip. Anytime a word is repeated over and over again in a short amount of space in scripture, that is obviously, like any good teacher will tell you if they want you to learn something, they'll repeat it. Any good teacher will tell you if they want you to learn something, they'll repeat it. Any good, I'm just kidding, but you get the point. John is doing that. He is using the word abide over and over again. So the abide in the Greek is meno, or yeah, meno, M-E-N-O, long O. I know I just transliterated that, but either way, meno. And it's this idea of remaining, staying. So you heard me earlier talking about a mom in a chaotic environment, a dad in a chaotic environment, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, babysitter. Hey, stay with me. Stay with me. Life is crazy. It's tumultuous. I don't want you getting on the wrong subway. I don't want you wandering away. I don't want you getting lost in the crowd. Remain with me. When life is rocky and wavy and all these things, stay with me. And John's point is the same here, this idea of minnow, that if you are, in fact, of Christ, then you would remain with Christ. And so there's two sides to this coin here. And I want to comfort you is that this idea that... Um, if you're not careful, then you'll teach that, hey, it's your responsibility to remain with God. And in some ways, there is a human obligation uh, in response to the great love that God has given us. There is a human duty that would say, I will abide, I will remain. It's what you hear Jesus say in the upper room, remain, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me, minnow in me, stay with me. I am your life source. I am the giver, the, the Spirit is the giver of life. Like we are... The Trinity is the one who is going to sustain you, keep you, love you, shape you, mold you, transform you into greater degrees of glory over and over again. So stay with us. So there is a human participation in this. But I also want to remind you that it is not our faith that saves us. It's Jesus' faithfulness that saves us. That our response to Jesus' faithfulness to go to the cross and be the perfect human and to fulfill the scriptures, it's not our faith. It is the object of our faith 
that saves and sustains us. It's not that you are so faithful, you made this happen. It's that you placed your faith in the most faithful God-man, the most faithful human that ever lived, the most faithful person that is the Jesus, that is Jesus Christ. I almost said the Jesus Christ. That's would have been weird. But anyways, that that's what you're placing your faith in. And so this idea of remain, remain, abide, stay with you, there is this sense too that had they not been false teachers, God would have helped them to remain. Now, I realized, I heard Scott Booth from Pillar Seminary the other day say, somebody told him, don't take out a snake unless you're going to kill it which is his, I think, weird way of saying don't like bring something up unless you plan to deal with it. And I realize I am opening a massive can of snakes to take these metaphors and blend them. Uh, So I know right now that there is people in the Christian faith that are saying, I don't believe anymore. I know that. I have social media. I know that this complicates things. And I know that there are a lot of jock or armchair theologians who give their hot take Right? They quote people like Calvin and others and whatever and say, well, maybe they were never believers. Or they say, gosh, if they were believers, don't worry. God's going to bring them back. One, I don't think it's for us to judge. Um, I certainly am saying, look, if you want to speculate with your friends in a room where nobody's recording and you're just trying to like flesh out theology because it's disconcerting what you're hearing, like, don't hear me say I, th- I don't think we should have deep and hard conversations about this. I just think maybe don't live tweet it. Um, and then I think, too, I think what John would want for you to get out of this is this twofold message, that that you should stay with Christ, that in the midst of this chaotic world where we hear crazy things all the time, and people are saying crazy things, and people are doing crazy things, that I think John would say, Minnow, stay with Christ, run to Christ, pray, read your scriptures, go to church. Be around people who love Jesus. Stay with Christ. And then I think he would tell you, look, if you're worried that you're going to fall away, then trust that it's the grasp of Jesus around you that saves and sustains you. Jesus talks about those who the Father has given me. No one will snatch away from me. And I think John would tell you that. I think if you're the person who's like, gosh, it is a terrifying thing to think that I could one day be deceived by a false teacher and walk away, I think John would put his pastoral tender hands on your cheeks and lift your eyes up to his and said, listen, there's two sides to this minnow coin. You are with God and God is with you. And and God will sustain and keep and allow you to abide with him because it's his faithfulness that saves us, not our own. All right, so this was a lot. Uh, So what's the big so what? I do not believe that we have a faith that's entirely head-centric. I think it's a really beautiful thing that you see uh, John engaging our hearts, our minds, and our hands, right? This moral, social, doctrinal But so I think that there can be a real pendulum swing that sometimes allows one of those to be overextended, right? And we meet people like that who are like, hey, the entirety of love or the entirety of the faith is love. God is love. We already read that in 1 John. God is love. God is love. So all you got to do is love people, man. It's all about love, man. It's all about love. And then there are other people like, gosh, it's it's not just love. It's all obedience. It's obedience. It's obedience. You need to do what God tells you to do. Do what God tells you to do. And then there are others, and this is more of the breed that I'm from, where it's like, hey, do you think well about God? Do you know what the Christian faith is about? Do you know the gospel? And any one of those extremes misrepresents 
the humanity that we exist in, that we are creatures that are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength, that we are more than just a head thinking faith, we are more than just a body loving faith, we are more than just a hand doing faith, that we that we would keep in mind that to fully love God means to not forsake any of these. And so that's my encouragement to you is to spend some time, maybe an inventory of your life and say, hey, have I have I made one of these a bigger deal to the detriment of the others? And if you have, then I'd encourage you to seek to love your neighbor, to seek to obey God, to to be to take his commands seriously. Right? I don't think you can just love your neighbor and then be like, ah, screw it. I'm going to sleep with whoever I want because, hey, I went to the homeless shelter today and, and whatever. Like, no, no. And then I would say, you know, if you are not sure what the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith are, I would highly encourage you to reach out to somebody and spend some time believing and learning what it is that Christians have believed, do believe, and will always believe. And it's grounded from, first and foremost, the teaching of Jesus, his embodiment of when he was here on earth, and then when he passed down to his disciples, what the Spirit helped the writers in the New Testament carry along, and then what the early church protected and preserved and then solidified in these co- in these creeds for us. All right. I know this has been a little bit longer one, but hopefully it was helpful. If nobody's told you today they love you, I do. But way more importantly, God's crazy about you. Peace out, friends.